May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? Being educated in the public school system in Ontario, I, like many of you, I am sure, learned about something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. The American psychologist Abraham Maslow developed this pyramid of what people need to thrive and progress in life, with the most basic needs being at the bottom, build up from that. Now, there are any number of ways that we could challenge some of the assumptions built into this pyramid, but taking the time to consider what is necessary for human flourishing is a worthwhile use of our time. Most people would agree that for people to develop well, we need the basics of life, right? Food, water, shelter, some level of safety and security and stability. One of the things that we often overlook, though, is how important light is for human beings. The more we learn about our physical, mental, and emotional development, the more we have found that light, or its absence, has a major effect on us. We could think of something like seasonal affective disorder, which many people are affected by. The absence of daylight triggers a chemical reaction in the brain, which leaves them feeling uh, varying degrees of sadness or depression. I'm not a psychologist, so I will leave that to the professionals, but it has a profound effect on people. To treat this, it's, you have to get out in the sunlight more, or they'll use various forms of light therapy to try to increase the amount of light in the person's life. Well, if light is so crucial to our, our physical and our, our mental and emotional flourishing, it should come as no surprise then that light or its absence is going to have a major impact on our spiritual life as well. For human beings to be healthy, we need light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Just as someone locked in physical darkness suffers for it, so too the one who is locked in spiritual darkness can never thrive and flourish in the way that Christ desires for them. That is because of what the light of Christ does. It brings life and it reveals. And that is what we're going to dive into this morning as we look at our second I am statement in our series. That Jesus is the light that brings life and he is the light that reveals. Now we see that Jesus is the light that gives light by that gives life by first understanding that most of the time when the Bible uses the word light, especially in the New Testament, it is used metaphorically. Light is used as an image of holiness, purity, and godliness. Often, light is spoken about in the context of salvation. 
That to have the light of God, his holiness, his purity, his presence, is to have life. While not having those things, not having him, is to be trapped in spiritual death and darkness. We could think of Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, meaning without his light we have no salvation. John himself uses the contrasting images of light and darkness at the beginning of his gospel when he tells us that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness and that this light is the life of men. The light of God is necessary for people to come out of spiritual darkness. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The reality of these words hit home all the more when we understand the context in which Jesus spoke them. This portion of chapter 8 is actually set in the same context as chapter 7, where Jesus is speaking to the crowds who have gathered for what is known as the Feast of Booths. This was a yearly seven-day festival commemorating the 40 years the Israelites spent in the wilderness. The people would construct and live in these booths as a reminder of the tents that the Israelites lived in while they were in the desert. It was a reminder of how little the people had, and yet the Lord had provided for them. The final night of this festival took place Overnight, in the temple courts, it would be filled with people dancing and celebrating how the Lord had delivered them from slavery in Egypt and given them the promised land. At this all-night party were these four massive torches, pillars of fire, we could perhaps call them, just as the pillar of fire, the presence of God, led the people through the desert. It is in that context, during this party with these pillars of light representing the presence of God, that Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As one of my favorite professors in seminary wrote, Rod Whitaker, he said, Thus, in the setting of this festival, which celebrates the Israelites' deliverance, Jesus is claiming to be the divine presence that saves God's people from their bondage. He is the saving presence for the whole world and not just for the Jews. See, just as the Father had delivered his people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt to give them new life in the promised land, so now Jesus stands and claims that power for himself. The power to bring people out of the darkness, out of the the bondage of sin and death, and into his light, which brings true life. If Jesus then is who he claims to be in this moment, if he is the light of life, then to be without him is to remain in death. That is the condition of all who remain separated from Christ. 
And so those of us who have been enlightened or enlivened, if you will, by his light, should do exactly what the Jewish people of his time were doing that very night. We should be praising God for it. We should be celebrating, we should be glorifying him because he has not simply delivered us from some empire or or national power, but from rebellion against God himself. They celebrated being given a new land to live in. We have been granted life itself. It is why we speak of the Christian life as being one of joy. Jesus has come, the light has shone in the darkness. He is the light of life and we are no longer dead because we have life in him. Jesus is the light that brings life. He is also the light that reveals. After Jesus makes this claim of being the the light of the world, we have this back and forth between him and and the Pharisees. In short, the the Pharisees are asking, why should we believe you at all? You're just making a claim for yourself. Why would we ever believe that? They want some corroboration, right? That makes sense. We don't tend to believe a claim unless it has some kind of evidence, especially one as massive as the claim that Jesus is making. We can't really blame the Pharisees here for asking for just a bit of evidence. Jesus' response, it can be a little confusing at first, I'll admit. He says in verse 14, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. He's basically saying, if you knew who I am, then you would believe me. But they don't know him. They don't recognize him for who he is. Why? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 15, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Now, admittedly, this is where my confusion really kicks in, because isn't Jesus the judge of the world? But how could he say I judge no one? Well, what he means is that he does not judge as they do. He does not judge through an earthly lens, but through a heavenly one. He sees the world from the perspective of the kingdom of God, whereas the Pharisees are only seeing the flesh. And because the Pharisees see the world through an earthly lens, they don't know Jesus. And that means they don't know the Father. This is driven home all the more when the Pharisees ask him where his father is. They don't get in that moment that Jesus is speaking about God. And so Jesus responds, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Just think about that for a second. Remember who these Pharisees are. These are the ones who claim to be the true followers of God. They keep the law perfectly, or at least strive to. They are the religious elite of their day. And here's Jesus who says, you have no idea who God is. They have no idea who God is because they don't know Jesus. 
What an incredibly helpful thing for us today. We who claim to know God, this is so helpful for us. Because this tells us that it's one thing to claim to know the Father, and it's another thing entirely to truly know Him. You see, we need the light of Christ to bring life, and when the light of Christ comes into our life, one of the things it does is reveal who Jesus truly is. It shows us that He is one with the Father, and that to truly know the Father is to know His Son. You cannot know one without the other. Despite what every other religion or philosophy will tell you, the truth is you cannot know God without knowing Jesus. And so we need to ask ourselves, do I know him? Do I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus for who he claims to be? Or is my understanding of Jesus more conditioned by the culture that I live in? You know that view of Jesus that he's the the nice guy with the nice teaching doing the nice things, right? That moralistic, therapeutic view of God, of Jesus. Is that the Jesus we know? Is that who we believe him to be? Or do we know him as the light of the world without whom there is not life at all but only spiritual death? We have to prayerfully ask ourselves this question because Jesus himself tells us if we don't know him, we don't know God. And to know the Father and the Son by the power of the Spirit is to be brought to life. To not know him is to remain in darkness and spiritual death. Do you know Jesus? Do you speak about Jesus, or do you speak about God in this arm-length, sort of vague, deistic sort of way? That sure, there's something out there, but that's as real as you're going to allow it to be. Do you know Jesus? Do you believe him to be the light that has brought you from death to life? You know, it's a great way to dive into that question. Ask yourself, when I, when I read about who Jesus claims to be in the scriptures, or when I, when I hear it read, how do I react to that? What's my response? Because you know how the Pharisees reacted? It's kind of shocking, actually. The end of our passage tells us, these words he spoke, meaning Jesus, in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now that seems to be quite an excessive response. All he's done is stand, stood up and said some things. Why would they want to arrest him? Well, because he's not making meaningless or trivial claims. They understand what he is claiming, that he is claiming to be the Savior. And in fact, much more than that, to be one with God, to be God himself. That is what gives all of these I am statements that we're looking at in this series so much meaning. Each one of them connects connects back to that very first I am statement. When God appeared in the burning bush to Moses. Way back in Exodus 3. Moses asks God for his name. 
And God responds, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That is what the Pharisees are hearing now. They're hearing what Jesus is saying and they want to arrest him because in their minds he is making a blasphemous claim. Again, Rod Whitaker's words are helpful to us here. He writes, Jesus is saying his words and deeds are not about God. They are, in fact, God's own words and deeds. Jesus is God, not simply a human being who has been taken up into the divine council and made an agent of God unlike any other, but neither is he simply God in a suit of flesh. He is fully God and fully man. End quote. When you hear what Jesus says about himself, is that what you believe? Later on in chapter 8, Jesus is speaking with them about Abraham and about how Abraham longed to see the coming of Jesus, that he rejoiced at the coming of Jesus. And those who hear it think he's crazy. After all, Abraham is long since dead, so how could Abraham have known Jesus? Fair question. Not going to lie, probably would have came to my mind if I was there in person. Jesus responds to them in John 8, 58, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is using the name of God in a direct way here. He is taking the name of God upon himself. And by taking the name that God revealed to Moses, Jesus is making the claim not just to have existed before Abraham, but for all eternity. He is claiming to be divine. And when the crowd heard that in that part of chapter 8, you know how they responded? They picked up stones to kill him. And in our passage, they sought a way to arrest him. When you hear the claims of Jesus, how do you respond? Do you take him at his word? Or do you try and minimize him? Do you think he's crazy? Try to make him less than what he claims to be? Or like Thomas, do you fall at his feet and cry out in worship, my Lord and my God? The light of Christ reveals Jesus to be God come to us. He is the Son of God through whom we know the Father. When we have seen the truth of Jesus, when his light has revealed him to us, the light of Christ then reveals how we're to live. I asked what you believe about Jesus, and I think some of us can acknowledge it. Maybe that's not an answer that we can come up with quickly or easily. But one of the ways that we can discern what exactly we believe about Jesus is by asking ourselves what we believe about the world. How do we see the world around us? What is the lens that I use, that I look through to understand the world that I live in? 
C.S. Lewis once wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. His point is that when we believe in Jesus, when the light of Christ has revealed Jesus for who he is, we don't just see Jesus, but we see everything else through Jesus. He becomes the lens through which we understand life and seek to live out our life. Think about what Jesus said. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Following, of course, assumes faith. You cannot follow Jesus truly without believing in him and what he has done for you. That's why I asked the question that I had. By the grace of Christ, our spiritual life begins through believing in Jesus and being baptized into him. But Jesus speaks here both of following and walking. It's an action word, right? Following and walking, meaning living out the life that Jesus has given us. Living out life from the light that he has given us. Now, those who preach here do and will continue to make much of the truth that we are justified, that we are made right with God by the grace of God alone through faith in Christ. That is absolutely true. But while that is absolutely true, what we cannot do is allow that truth to cause us to assume that we don't do anything at all. That being justified, I get to now sit around and wait either till Jesus returns or I die, whichever one. We who claim to know Jesus, who claim to be Christians, we now choose whether or not we are going to follow him in this life. Whether or not we're going to walk in his light. We choose whether or not we will see the world through the lens of Christ. We choose whether or not we will bring the light of Christ into a given situation. We choose whether or not we will look at someone or some scenario and ask, what does Christ desire here and now? What is it that Christ desires for that person? Could you imagine how different our life would look or how life in general would look if Christians asked that question first? What does Christ desire right here and right now? What does Christ desire for me in this moment? How does Christ desire for me to respond? How can, how can he empower me to do that? Could you imagine how different our interactions with the non-believer might be? That one you know who, who, who isn't living in the light of Christ, right? How different that conversation might go if he had said, what is it that Jesus desires for that person and how can I speak that way? to this person, or maybe not speak. (laughs) Do you imagine how it might go for us if we started looking at ourselves that way? What is it that Christ desires for me? What does he truly want for me in this life? What are the promises of God to me? What are they really? Not what what I think they are, what I want them to be, but what are they really? we begin to see the world through the light of Christ, making him the center of all we do and all we think. Because the truth is, even us who, who love Jesus and 
loved him for as long as we know. Even we have a proclivity to reach back for that darkness. Right? John 3 tells, Jesus says in John 3, it's not, these are the words of Jesus. He tells us that we love the darkness. And so we're going to reach back for it. Make no mistake. But if we're looking at life through the lens of Christ, if we're following him as the light who reveals the path, that when we start reaching back, we can acknowledge, yeah, I love that sin. But what would it be for me to live for Christ rather than that sin? How can the light of Christ show me a better way? How could it keep me from reaching back into the darkness? What is it that Jesus desires for me? It's an amazing thing, but when we start seeking to live in the light of Christ, when we seek to truly follow him, not just kind of acknowledge him and then go about our day, but to truly live for him, we see how he changes us. The spirit of God truly changes our hearts and our minds. We start to see those sins that are within us put to death. Those things that once had a hold of us are not so tempting anymore. The way we conduct ourselves, the way we speak, it all changes because we're living for Him now. Day by day, we begin to follow Him and see the world the way He does. He is the light. The light of Christ brings life as it drives the sin out from us and delivers us from death to life. The light of Christ shows us who Jesus is so that we might follow him and walk in the life that he wants for us. Jesus says he is the light of the world who brings life to all people. Who do you say that he is? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.